friends, Paul is on trial again. Does this feel like deja vu a little bit? We have all of these chapters about Paul being on trial in this last section in Acts. And it started out when he was at the, the temple. There was the riot uh, where he, he stood up to speak. Then he was brought before the, Jew, uh, the Jewish religious leaders. And now he is in chapter 24. He is standing before the Roman governor, Felix. And all of this is a, a sham. Paul is a completely innocent man. And as we're reading this, it's a, a good and sober reminder that all those who are incarcerated are not always there justly. And this is going to go on for years for Paul. I mean, can you imagine that happening to you? He goes from one courtroom or jail cell to another, and he is completely innocent of all the things that people are saying about him. And he has to sacrifice a long period of his life to face all these charges that aren't true. And so how did Paul find the strength to do this? How did he find the strength to face all of these unjust, untrue accusations for such a long period of time? Do you want to know Paul's secret? Would you like to know? Because I want to tell you. Because I think it's pretty good. You see, here's Paul's secret. Paul pursued holiness for the only hearing that matters. Paul pursued holiness for the only hearing, for the one hearing that matters. In fact, many years before this, uh, Paul wrote something uh, to the church at Corinth, uh, probably on his third missionary journey when he's had that long stay at Ephesus for about three years. That's when many scholars think he wrote 1 Corinthians. Um, and so this was well before all of these chapters we've been in about Paul's trials. Uh, this was well before then. Um, and he writes this in 1 Corinthians. I want you to see this. 1 Corinthians, it says, I care very little. If I am judged by you or by any human court, indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring light to what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. So what Paul is saying all of, these, all of these court scenes that he's a part of, they matter very little in light of the one court scene that is actually going to matter at the end of the world. All of these will pale in comparison when he stands before the final judge. All will be brought to light on that day. All of the motives, all of the false things, those will be revealed when people stand before the Lord on the last day. And Paul knew it was only the Lord's judgment that counted. So let's pick up the story where we left off. I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 24. Um, and as you're turning there, remember at, uh, at the end of 23, uh, Paul gets transferred to Caesarea because they discover there's a plot by some Jews to kill him. So he gets transferred to Caesarea and he's put under guard in Herod's palace. And the story picks up in chapter 24, verse 1. Five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus and they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. So, the religious leaders, they have hired a lawyer named Tertullus. We don't know much about him, but in many ways, you can call to mind maybe some of those lawyers that we've seen in movies. You know, you think of Tom Cruise in A Few Good Men, or maybe you think of Matthew McConaughey, McConaughey in Lincoln Lawyer, if you've seen that movie. Um, because really, this lawyer at that time was more someone who was a trained orator, a trained speaker, 
And they were hired by somebody, not to be an expert in the law, but to be such a persuasive speaker that they would get the verdict that the client wanted, no matter the facts of the case. That's what Paul is up against. He's up against a trained speaker who is trying to get him accused of something that's false. And so Tertullus, he spins the whole narrative to make it seem like Paul is the problem. He calls him a pest. He actually calls him the word for like plague. He's, he's the guy that's causing a pandemic in the world. Um, and, it says, and then he says, uh, he makes it seem like essentially the Jewish leaders did Rome a favor by seizing him. But that, that's, that's actually not what happened. It was some Jews from Asia who caused the riot, and it was the Roman guards who seized Paul, not the Jewish leaders. Remember, it was Claudius Lysias who seized them and saved Paul from that riot. So he's spinning the whole narrative to make it seem like Paul is the one at fault here. And so even though everything is spun horribly wrong against Paul, look at what it says in verse 9. The other Jews, they joined in the accusation, asserting that these things were true. How would you feel if you were Paul right now? Maybe powerless, maybe angry, traumatized, scared. However he felt, as Courtney reminded us last week, Jesus came and stood near Paul. He said, take heart. Be encouraged. I am with you. And so in the power of the Spirit, Paul finds strength to refute every charge. And he makes it clear that he's done nothing wrong. He has lived such a holy life, there really is no wrongdoing against him. He's done nothing illegal. And he boils this down as this is a religious dispute, which is not against Roman law. And so he says in verse 14, However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way which they call a sect. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is what is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So, I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. Friends, this is how we know that Paul pursued holiness for the only hearing that matters. Do you see how verses 15 and 16 are connected? Paul says in 15, I have the same hope in God as as these Jewish leaders. What is this hope? That at the end of time, there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. At this resurrection, that is when God is going to finally make all of the wrongs right, all of the brokenness, all of the injustice, that will be judged on the last day, and God will make renew this whole world. Paul says, I have this same hope. But for now, Paul knows that this resurrection, that this final judgment, is going to happen in and through the Messiah that has come in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, who will be the world's final judge. So this was central to Paul's gospel. And if it's not in our gospel, we have a deficient, a deficient gospel. That the idea that it's, the gospel is not about just going to heaven when we die, but it's about heaven coming down finally one day to earth when all evil will be cast out, all evil doers judged and the righteous resurrected. And God will dwell here with humanity once again, just like he did back in the Garden of Eden. That's how this whole thing is going to end. And so how does this hope change things for us? How does it change things for Paul? Well, it changes everything, friends. Paul says in verse 16, he says, So, or for this reason, 
Because I have this hope in the resurrection, I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. Paul knows how this world is going to be renewed and ended, standing before the judge. So he says, I keep my conscience clear before God and others. Oh, Christian friends, does your hope in the resurrection lead you to this same type of pursuit of holiness? Because it should. I strive always to keep my conscience clear. Now, Paul says, I strive. Now, this is, a, this is a word that means to engage in an activity with both continuity and effort. It comes from the, the realm of athletics. It's the idea of, of an athlete who is, who is constantly training and exercising themselves for their final goal that they have. Paul says, I, I strive always. I live like this always because my mind is on the last day. The last day. He's saying, I want to live in such a way that neither God nor man, nor my own conscience will judge me on the last day. And there are many ways in Scripture of talking about this. Uh, Paul, uh, the Bible talks about living a blameless life or living, you might have heard the term, above reproach, above condemnation of others, or as I'm saying here, pursuing holiness. And maybe it's just me, maybe you can confirm this, but it seems like holiness, holiness has fallen out of favor these days. With, mo with most Christians. Am I right in feeling that? I see a few nods. It doesn't seem like it's a very popular concept, holiness. And I think that we need a revival of holiness to sweep through the church in our day, don't we? The world is watching. The world is chaotic. They see what Christians act like. We need to look like Jesus Christ and his love and his holiness. So how can we Strive always for this. We need more of this. We don't want our love to be lukewarm. We need the fire of God burning in our hearts. And I think there, there is one verse that captures this that I think would be an amazing life verse uh, for in general, but maybe for 2022, if you're thinking about a, a verse for the year, look at Hebrews 12, 14. It says this. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Oh, if every Christian took that to heart, what would change in our lives, in our churches, in our communities? Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. So I want to spend the rest of our time today considering how we might make our every effort to be holy. To be like Paul, to pursue holiness for the only hearing that matters. And so I have a few points about this. How can we do this? The first is this. Number one, we make it our goal to please God in all that we do. We make it our goal to please him in all that we do. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul wrote this. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for us, things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Paul says again, do you see how this is connected? We know we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So that for that reason, I make every effort to please him in all that I do. He says it another way in 2 Timothy. He says, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. So I think one way that we can pursue holiness 
is to take all of the ordinary stuff of our lives, each day, that, and whatever we're doing, and to say, Lord, how can I please you with my day today? You can do this with simple breath prayers. Say, God, how can I please you with my time? God, how can I please you right now in worship when I'm at church? How can I please you when I go to lunch or go to dinner with family or friends later today? God, how can I, how can I please you at work? How can I please you on my commute? How can I please you with my morning routine or my bedtime routine? How can I please you with my kids? How can I please you with all the things I have to do today, God? Lord, how can I live in a way that's pleasing in your sight? And pleasing the Lord, it also involves avoiding distractions, which can be a hard thing to do in our day, amen? It says, not getting entangled in civilian affairs. What kinds of things do we get entangled in that distract us from our calling, from our purpose? Maybe it's worldly concerns, quarrels that are not fruitless, materialism, ungodly conversation, endless scrolling. What things distract from God's purpose? God, what is distracting me from my calling? What's distracting me from my mission? And I don't know about you, but sometimes I can feel overwhelmed by all of the options, all of, all of the things that I could be doing. That can feel overwhelming to me. We can be pulled in many different directions. But I believe if you ask the Lord, he will help you choose what is best. Paul actually prayed this for the church in Philippi. Look at this. Philippians 1. This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. In fact, that's a phrase that means to choose what really matters. So that, why? We may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. It's been shocking to me as I've studied for this, this, uh, this sermon how often this theme of being pure and blameless for the day of Christ comes up. You're going to see it more in the sermon. But it's shocking to me how this is such a consistent theme and I feel like has not been taught to me uh, in my upbringing. Discerning what is best. Choosing what pleases God the most with our time, with our lives. Because how we spend our time, that's how we're spending our lives, right? <laughs> Choosing what is best in light of the coming resurrection. And so you might need to pray, Lord, is there anything... I need to stop doing so that I can choose what is best? Or is there something that I should be doing, Lord, and I can't commit to because I'm busy doing other things? Discern what is best. Choosing to pursue holiness for the only hearing that matters. Another way we can strive for this is we make every effort to pursue holiness. We make every effort to pursue holiness. Second Peter says this, But in keeping with his promise... Now notice the hope. We are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So because of this hope, what? So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. So again, the hope of the resurrection, the hope of a renewed earth, the hope of the coming judgment leads to a what? Pursuit of holiness, blamelessness. Because we have this hope that God is going to renew the world, become the type of people who will fit nicely into this world where righteousness and holiness will dwell. I want to ask you this. Do you have a plan with your finances? Do you have a plan for your retirement? 
Anybody, anybody out there, can I see some nods? Do you have a plan for what you're doing? Because if you don't, we know, I know some financial planners that can help, that can help you with that. Uh, Brad Peel did that for years. I, we can, we can set, some, so, set something up later. But most of us, we have a plan for our finances. Well, let me ask you this. Do you have a plan to become holy? Do you have a plan to become more like Christ? You know, you need both. But I think it's the sad reality is we're so much better at planning for like the last 20 years of our existence that we're actually not planning well for eternity. How foolish that is. Plan to become holy. Second, uh, Peter says it a, a little bit differently in chapter 1 of Second Peter. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Did you see the link again? This idea of pursuing holiness, pursuing blamelessness, and receiving a rich welcome into the kingdom of our Lord. So these are all, these are all categories, I think. These are good categories for self-reflection. Am I adding more knowledge to my faith? Do I exercise self-control over my tongue, over my temper, over my time, my diet, my wallet? Am I persevering under trial or do I give up easily? Am I more godly this year? Am I more affectionate towards other people? Do I love people with commitment and sacrifice? So as I was in Kentucky last week, I got, got to visit Manuel and Loida. Uh, Manuel is getting his PhD at Asbury Seminary. And uh, Asbury is rooted in the Wesley, Wesleyan tradition. So as you walk around camp, campus, there's actually a great uh, statue of John Wesley and Charles Wesley. And I, I got my picture with Charles, and that was wonderful. Uh, but uh, <laughs> we sang a couple hymns together. Um, he was kind of out of tune, really. He wasn't really hitting it with me the same, but it's okay. But as I walked around the campus, you could even feel the sense of holiness at this place. That the, the tradition, friends, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to say, was, was alive and well at Asbury. There was communion every day, people gathering for prayer, weekly accountability, uh, so many things where the, it just felt like a place that was on fire for the Lord. I was so happy to see that my friends were in such a wonderful place. You know, John Wesley, he helped start a revival of holiness in his time and place. In fact, I, I want to share a quote with you from him. He says, says this, I continue to dream and pray about a revival of holiness in our day that moves forth in mission and creates authentic community in which each person can be unleashed through the empowerment of the Spirit to, fill, to fulfill God's creational intentions. What a powerful and wonderful dream, right? I'm continuing to dream and pray for the same thing Wesley dreamed and prayed for. That even in our day, that this, these things don't have to be just things that happened in history, but do you realize that they can happen right now if we would just pursue the Lord's holiness? 
So we make it our goal to please Him. We make every effort to pursue holiness. And finally, the last thing I want to say about this theme is that we say no to ungodliness and eagerly say yes to what is good. We say no to ungodliness. We eagerly say yes to what is good. So let me go back to the story. Paul has testified before Felix, and he adjourns it and says, I'm going to wait for Claudius to come. But then it says in verse 24, he sent for Paul, and he listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus, and as Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Do you see how all of these themes are coming up again and again? Holiness, righteousness, self-control, the judgment to come, faith in Christ, they're all coming together into one theme. And there's I want to give you, I'm, annoyed, I'm giving you a lot of scripture today, but I feel like it's so important to see this play out in other places. Look at what it says in Titus 2. Paul wrote this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Do you see the connection again? We're eager for this, the coming of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, because God is purifying himself a people. We're saying no to ungodliness. We're saying no to worldly passions we're pursuing holiness. God's grace has appeared. God's grace to forgive. God's grace to redeem. Yes. But also God's grace to say no to ungodliness. What is this ungodliness? Some of the acts of the flesh, the sexual morality, impurity, idolatry, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, living for self, dissensions and factions with others, envy over others, drunkenness. Paul said to the church in Galatia, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, Paul who preached the gospel of grace, right? He even wrote to churches, gosh, if you live in sin, if you live unrepentant in sin, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. I'm warning you about this. You're living in light. There's one court hearing that matters. There's one judgment day that matters. Confirm your calling and election, Peter says, by pursuing a life of holiness. We are, friends, we are to kill sin in our lives before it actually kills us. So we say no to sin. We cut it out of our lives and we eagerly turn from sin so we can eagerly say yes to what is good, yes to what is godly, what is true, what is just, what is holy, what is right. So this is how Paul, he pursued holiness for the one hearing that mattered for him. I always strive to keep my conscience clear. And by the way, he didn't do this as a way to kind of be a jerk to other people. <laughs> Sometimes we can say, well, you know what, I only care what God thinks. I don't care what anybody else thinks. Sometimes you can actually use that as, as an excuse to be mean. <laughs> Paul says, no, I keep my conscience clear before God and man, before everyone that I want to live such a holy life. And yes, not everyone is always going to, he's being falsely accused in our chapter today, but he, he always tried to keep a clear conscience before God and others. 
So we must, and so to keep our conscience clear, friends, we must always strive to obey God when we feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, when we hear him speaking or pointing out things in our lives. And I'm going to give us some time to reflect on that today. Um, I'm going to invite the band to come up and and get prepared because we're going to have a, a sermon response. But I want you to notice how this passage ends. As Paul was preaching these things to the Roman governor Felix, he didn't want to hear Paul anymore. Look at verse 25. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid. And he said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. Oh, when I find it convenient. You see, Felix must have felt some type of uncomfortable feeling at Paul's preaching, at these words about the last judgment, about self-control and holiness. And so Felix just sends him away. I'll come back when it's convenient. And it says, yes, he did listen to Paul for about two more years, mainly to see if Paul would bribe him. But the text never says that Felix came to Christ. And it seems that he will never get the opportunity again. And so, my my friends, my goal this morning is to, as the Puritan preachers did, I'm hoping that I'm I'm awakening your conscience a little bit today. That I'm, I'm, I'm pricking your conscience a little bit. And if, if maybe you're, feeling, if you're here this morning and the Holy Spirit's convicting you, if you feel any sorrow for sin, if you feel any uh, uh, guilt about sin, take that as a sign that God loves you, that God is still for you, that God is bringing you back to him. And if you don't feel any guilt about sin, maybe be afraid. Lord, have I hardened my heart so much that I no longer feel convicted? Lord, how are you convicting us this morning? So, oh friends, please don't do what Felix did and say, you know what, I'll just, I'll repent at a more convenient time. I'll listen to another sermon at a different time. We don't know if we'll even have another day. And I want to ask you, maybe just close your eyes for a second because I don't want you to focus on anything else. Just close your eyes. Imagine yourself standing before the throne, before the judgment seat of Christ, if you were to face him today, is your conscience clear? Is there sin you haven't repented of? Are there relationships in need of healing? Have you done all that your master has commanded you? Is there money you haven't given away? Is there any sin still in your life? Have you grown lukewarm? Have you lost your first love? It's not too late. If you feel the conviction of the Spirit right now, don't close your heart. You don't know if you'll get the gift of conviction again. If the Lord gives you the gift of conviction, be quick to respond. Today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. Live for the only court hearing that matters. And I'm going to have the band to start playing instrumentally. And I'm just going to give you a few reflection questions. They'll be on the screen as well. Lord, is there anything in my life not pleasing to you? Lord, what can I do to pursue greater holiness? Let's spend some time in silent reflection and prayer as the band plays.